Happy Mother's Day. Again, you mothers. There's one who really appreciated that. I love it. Let me swallow my uh, mint here. What I want to talk about this morning is what are the effects of the kingdom of God? Right now, presently, in this evil age, what are its effects upon our lives? Let's pray. So, Father, to that end, help me. Help me be clear. Help me teach well. Help me represent and say the truth of Scripture, the truth of your kingdom. Help us revel in what we hear of the power of the presence of your rule, your reign through your Son, Jesus Christ, in our lives now. Do it, O Lord, to the glory of Jesus. Amen. So this is week 28 in our series, God's Purpose in Redemptive History. And what we've seen over the last three sermons is that the New Testament, it pictures all of human history into two ages. This age and the age that is yet to come. This age with its sin it's misery, evil, satanic power that are here and remain, and the age to come when they will no more. The age to come of the resurrection, the age to come of perfect health, the age to come of freedom, joy, and perfection. And now we live not between the ages. We live in the overlap of the ages. Jesus came and He brought the future, so to speak, into the past. The age to come, in part, back into this present evil age. In an invisible, powerful, spiritual way. We live in the overlap of the ages. In other words, the way that the book of Hebrews talks to Christians, it says, even though we're, we're in this age, we are all dying. It's not the age to come yet of the resurrection. But if you're a believer, you've entered the kingdom. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5 says, we have tasted the powers of the age to come. Not like the consummation. There's not going to be a taste. It'll be full-blown freedom from sin, evil, sickness, and death forever. But here, if you're a believer, the kingdom has touched you, and you have tasted of the powers of the age to come. So in other words, but we still live in this age. 
So we know that Christ already on the cross purchased our complete and absolute physical human healing. But we still groan with sickness and disease. We've already, according to 1 John, passed from death into life. And yet we will all still die. We already have the indwelling, sanctifying Holy Spirit in our lives. But the war between the flesh and the Spirit must go on through this life. We have already been acquitted of all of our sins through Jesus Christ, but we must go on every day praying, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We already have citizenship in heaven, and yet one day we will inherit the kingdom of God. Feel the tension? So what does all that mean for us then in this time of overlap, in between, tasting of the powers of the age to come? The kingdom is present, but in another sense, it is not yet here. What blessings are available now in this age because the kingdom of God is present? That's the rest of this sermon. So what I want to do, I want to consider then a few of the effects of the kingdom and its presence here now to one extent or another. Actually, I want, I want to present at least eight effects of the presence of the kingdom that dawned with the first coming of Jesus. So, the first effect, when the kingdom came, it came producing, miraculously, physical healing. In Luke 10, 8-9, Jesus said to His disciples, as He's going to send them out before Him into towns and two by two, He says, as you enter the town, etc., this is what you are to do. You are to heal the sick in it. And you are to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So notice the connection. Heal and say the kingdom thus is near to you. In physical healing, we all know, in Jesus, who is the king, bringing the kingdom, physical healing in his ministry was one of the central things that he was doing. We get a summary of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so it's clear that with the coming of the kingdom and with the king, one effect of that arrival in Jesus' ministry was the Overcoming and relieving of physical miseries. Now, having said that, we live in this present age. 
And there, in this age, will continue to be sickness and disease and suffering and death. Because it's this age. It's not the age to come. Perfect health is not for this age. It is for the consummation. The age to come. But the kingdom is present. And just like within Jesus' ministry, see, of all those He healed, which is many, they all got sick again or run over by a truck and died. But He was bringing the kingdom. He was bringing a peace of the future, eternal, perfect health and resurrection. And it was breaking off and showing its manifestation here in this world now. Shall we not expect God in some part to do that? Shall we not pray for the sick? Well, I think we can, and I think we should, and I think He heals because the presence of His rule and reign is here. And most particularly because when I read in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 12, verses 7 and 9, you hear this. To each one of you normal, everyday Christians in the local church in Corinth, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So when you read that in its context, you get this simple impression that the gifts or the operations of the Holy Spirit who is in our midst and very present is that God wills and wants to work through one to another. And it's a manifestation of His kingdom power administered by the Holy Spirit. Now just to be clear, Jesus' ministry was unique. And the apostles' ministries were unique in the power of signs and wonders and healings. The king and then his special hand-picked sent ones, revelatory spokespersons, eyewitnesses of his resurrection to confirm their testimony, they had types of power of the kingdom operating through them that is abnormal. But having said that, on the other hand, there are throughout the decades and the centuries and the millennia, there are tastes of the kingdom even in the physical realm of God's sovereignly healing. Through laying on a hands, through prayer, through intercession, it's available as He wills because the kingdom is present. That's the first effect. The second effect of the kingdom, when Jesus comes, right, is this manifestation of the reign of God to overcome death itself. Yes, 
For instance, in Matthew 10, 7 to 8, we read this. Jesus telling his disciples as they go now, okay? Because in his name, he's sending them. And this is even during Jesus' earthly ministry. Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, get the connection with the kingdom now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's your message. And then he says, heal the sick. Raise the dead. So one of the ways that the kingdom of God is manifesting itself in its presence is by overcoming even death itself. Okay, this is why I think. Because it's a taste. It's a foretaste of what is to come. Now technically, in the New Testament, right, we have three accounts. This, uh, he, Jesus may have raised from the dead, which means people have died, even Lazarus, up to four days dead. We don't mean, you know, he's been unconscious for eight and a half minutes, and I hope there's brain function. We only have three instances that are recorded of him doing it. It's a taste. They were not resurrected from the dead with a new glorified immortal body, they were brought back to mortal life in order to suffer and to die again. And in the book of Acts, we only have two instances, one from Peter, one from Paul, and that's it. And you think about that in contrast to the hundreds or most likely into the thousands the way it's recorded in the Gospels of Jesus healing people as opposed to raising them from the dead. You've got to scratch your head. Why? I mean, there's a lot more dead people available, at least in what God had recorded for us. Why are there just so many people healed and only very few raised from the dead? Well, here's a shot at it. that We live in this present time in the overlap the kingdom of God, it's present, it's here to an extent, and God evidently wills that some blessings of the age to come be experienced more down here during this time than other blessings of that kingdom. Now, besides that, other than maybe family members or of a dead one who gets brought back to life and it's a number of years left, like Mary and Martha with her brother or what. But it's not probably necessarily a great blessing to go through the process of death and be raised back up again and then go have to someday go through it all over again. But we are in this age, the not yet of the consummated kingdom age. Which does mean, again, 100% of the persons that Jesus himself healed miraculously all died. Everyone he raised from the dead died. The blessings during this age were temporary. They were signs. They were pointers and are pointers foretaste to something that is to come. The great final resurrection of the dead 
and the redemption of our bodies that are promised. Sickness and death with the first coming with Jesus, of Jesus were not abolished. His healings, His raising of the dead were signs that in the final consummated kingdom, when it comes, they will all be abolished. Every disease, every pain, death itself will be the last enemy, finally, experientially conquered. So healing and the raising of the dead and the third effect of the kingdom is deliverance from the oppression of demonic beings. The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God has come to deliver many from the kingdom of darkness. So the arrival of the kingdom, this is what we hear in Luke eleven twenty, when Jesus said, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then you should know this, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is upon you. It's here. That's the connection with the authority, the reign of God in Jesus Christ coming spiritually. There is immediately, as you open up into his ministry, a conflict with demonic and satanic evil. You know, you compare that. Open up your Bible and you read the entirety of the Old Testament. There are 39 separate books in the Old Testament. Only five of those books mention Satan. And throughout the Old Testament, there is no priest, there's no king, there's no prophet that ever cast out a demon. Then you crack open the New Testament. And right off the bat, there is this constant, ongoing conflict with the king who's here and the demonic realm. He's first led after his baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by the unseen being, Satan. In the very first chapter of Mark, he says, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And then later in Matthew 10, we read, Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And so it's clear that with the coming of Jesus and the kingdom of God, Establishing itself is very present. There is spiritual conflict that has now just come out into the open. In other words, Jesus' coming and the coming of the kingdom didn't create this world of demonic activity, which seems to be pretty, but not totally, silent throughout the Old Testament. It brought the conflict out into the open. So now when you read your Old Testament, you wonder why Israel would constantly turn to idolatry. Now you know there's demonic activity in the spiritual world behind it. 
As Paul would say, I say even, not just Israel, but the pagans, the things that they sacrifice to, the, thing, the idols that they worship, they are ultimately worshiping demons and not God. The coming of Jesus with the coming of the kingdom, and as he declared at the end of Matthew, all authority and all power has been given to me. Now I, your king, say to you, go. In my name, I deliver you from the oppression of devils, demons, spirits. And you, through my name, because of the cross, have power over them. The fourth effect of the presence of the kingdom of God is that it is here. And I want to say it. On Mother's Day, mothers, the kingdom is here. You mothers who are in the kingdom, the authority and the power of the kingdom is here in order to overcome rebellion in your children's hearts. In order to overcome rebellion and convert their souls. Jesus made it clear that no one enters the kingdom of God without being converted. He said it this way in Matthew 18.3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become, get something you're not before, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what power is it that brings about that change? A conversion from the state of sin in which we are all born. A heart, though it may be in church and may be religious, a, a rebellious, proud, independent heart that is changed to a humble, submissive, childlike trust and dependence upon God and upon the good news of His Son. What power does that? Well, the answer is, it's the power of the kingdom of God that does that. The rule and the reign of God, which is the kingdom, does that. Don't ever give up hope, mothers. That's why Jesus said in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's the power of the kingdom. Remember the rich young ruler, what must I do to have eternal life? Keep the commandments. Check them all off. I'm pretty good. Jesus said, let's see if you really get it and see if you're really in the kingdom. See if you really have childlike trust in God. Go sell everything. 
give it to the poor, then come, get to follow me, the king. And he went the other way. Why? Because he didn't earn it? Nope. It was just Jesus bringing out into the open the reality of where he really was. But after he left, listen in on the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. From Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, with humanity, with your son, with your daughter, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Being converted is not ever merely a man thing, a human thing. With humanity, it's impossible, but not with God. Because Christ has come and the kingdom of God is present, God can change in a nanosecond a human's heart to love him and the evidences will follow. So listen to the king for a moment. The power of conversion. And the mercy and the love and the joy. In Luke 12, 32, our king says, Fear not, little flock, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not begrudgingly. He's happy for everyone who wants the kingdom. His rule, his reign over you. He's thrilled to give it to you. Or Matthew 13, 11. To you, my disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Or Matthew 16, 17. You're the Christ, Jesus. I got it. You're the Christ. That's right, Peter. And there was no man that revealed that to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The reason you know it, the reason you know that mystery, it was given to you. My Father in heaven gave it to you. And therefore, the kingdom of God itself, the power, the rule, the authority, the reign of this invisible kingdom everywhere now, it 
has the power to overcome rebellion and to bring conversion. God has ordained it. Think about the way Paul said this in Romans 1. It's like, well, I don't know. I, I, I didn't prepare that. I don't know. You, 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 in chemistry, you've got to mix particular, particular chemicals and it, it, and it has some kind of a, another effect, a bad effect, a good effect, or whatever. The way God has set up this kingdom is go proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and the rule and the reign of the kingdom with the words, with the truth, with the unfolding behind pulpits, on a street corner, in a living room, in a coffee shop. Day by day, mothers reading the Bible to your children. As Paul said, the gospel, the gospel, the news, the good news of who Jesus Christ is and how he saves sinners. That is the power of God. That's the other chemical that explodes in converting the human heart. And so just briefly, Paul says the same thing about the power of the kingdom in different words. This is how he lays it out in 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God, therefore, through the foolishness of what we preach, to save those who believe. You see, for Jews, they demand signs. Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But when the kingdom comes to convert, this is his meaning, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so here's Paul, without using here the word kingdom, that's what he means by the word called. That is the power of the authority of the king. And if he calls, they come. They're converted. That call is the effectual call, which just simply means whatever it calls for, it actually itself also produces. So that if, as an analogy, Jesus stands outside the tomb of a man who's been dead for four days and smells, if he, as the king, says, Lazarus, comma, Come forth. He cannot not come forth. He willingly, happily stepped to the entrance of the tomb. 
to call the kingdom creates a new heart so that that child of yours, mothers, delights in the gospel. Number five. Fifth effect of the kingdom is this then. Don't get miss this because this is part of what the rule and the reign of God is down here on earth. Because when that happens, it is the kingdom, therefore, that overcomes your condemnation and brings to you eternal forgiveness of sins. The kingdom is in conflict in this world right now against the kingdom of darkness, of lies, of false religions, of false worldviews, and on and on. But for every individual out there, like for every one of us born into this world, our great obstacle between us and God is that we are all guilty. Guilty of sin. And thus under God's just condemnation. And Jesus comes on the scene. And you've got to ask the question, if that's true, then why does Jesus say to Pharisees, religious people, tax collectors? Okay, these are people who steal your money legally, but immorally, because of the way the system was. He says tax collectors, thieves. And prostitutes. Okay, there's a real sin problem with God and what they're doing with their human sexuality there. And he says, they are entering the kingdom before you. How can that be? Or the very familiar words of Jesus, right? Blessed. Oh, happy, how happy, happy, happy and blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, who, who have nothing to bring and commend themselves before God. Look at me. Can you let me in? No, no, no. Those who are poor in spirit, so happy are they. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Belongs to them. Why? Because sinners going into the kingdom finally drop everything that they think would commend themselves before God. And they hear, as Jesus said, they have ears to hear because the power of the kingdom gave them ears to hear that it's utter mercy to me, a sinner. Or the way Jesus told that parable, the kingdom of God is like a king who called all these debtors to account, and when one of them pleads for mercy, he owed a million dollars and couldn't pay. Don't take my children and my wife and then throw me into prison. I beg of you. And the king had pity. Okay, I forgive you everything. 
You owe. Now, that's the power of the kingdom. And on this side of the cross now, we know how it is God could do that without becoming unrighteous. Because the king went to the cross and paid our debt. And every debtor before God for sin, no matter how grievous or for how long, is freely offered. Come unto me. You who are burdened and heavy laden and purposeless and fear, death, and judgment, and I will give to you eternal life without cost. Just take it. Open your hands. Be like a child. Humble yourselves. The sixth effect of the presence of the kingdom then is now those persons in the kingdom are constantly being affected by the kingdom, by the rule and the reign producing in them righteousness, holiness, changed walks, repentant life, never perfect, never sinless. In this age, it doesn't belong to this age, but it's real. It is the sanctifying work of the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. Think about the, just that bare structure you know, outline of the way Jesus taught us to pray. Father, thy kingdom come. There's, there's the word again. Thy will be done. Here, now on earth, in this present age, as it is in heaven, as it will be in the age to come, let us taste some of that in our lives. And so where the kingdom of God is coming on souls, there like the wind blowing, is an effect. It's never perfection, but it is repentance. Where the kingdom of God is coming in lives and in groups of people, righteousness and justice is happening more. I was reading with my daughter this last week, Amos, the book of Amos. God was angry. Injustice was rampant in Israel. Judges were taking bribes from the rich and thus doing injustice to the poor. That stuff stops when the kingdom comes. It stops. And also, if people think, well, justice is Making decisions based upon he's got a lot of money and they got less, so let's just always favor the poor. That will stop. That's injustice. Justice is about morality and right and wrong. Jesus said to us, therefore, daily seek, go on seeking, first and foremost, the kingdom of God. 
and His righteousness. That righteousness there doesn't mean seek imputed righteousness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about righteousness. God, work in me, a sinner. Continue to bring me to repentance. Grow me. Cause me to get off that pathway of constant rebellion and walk with you. When the kingdom of God comes, it invades people's lives with righteousness. That's why Paul wrote at the end of Romans in chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is it's not about a bunch of different rules that you may agree on or disagree, etc. You've got to deal with your conscience on that. But that's not the core of this invisible kingdom as we are in the visible church. That's not the core of the kingdom. He says, but the kingdom of God is righteousness. Pursue it in peace with God and with one another in joy. That's, that's at the core of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God changes the way people live. It brings justice. It brings righteousness. It makes them Jesus followers. And that leads or all those really lead to effect number seven. I can give you a scripture, and I'll do that in a moment, a couple. But at first, I just want to say logically, if those first six are true, logically, the seventh follows, right? You see, if it's true that the kingdom brings to us sinners new life, made alive to God, healing, deliverance from demonic oppression, conversion, or changed lives, forgiveness of sins and righteousness, and it would bring, wouldn't it, some kind of experience of a great joy? How would it not? The kingdom of God brings joy. I did not say the kingdom of God eradicates pain or sickness and suffering and tragedy or tribulations or financial setbacks or 10,000 other things. I did not say it eradicates that, but it brings joy. And it doesn't eradicate all those things. Not yet. That awaits for the age to come. But in the midst of them, it brings power and joy during this present evil age. Now, let me read Paul again, what I just quoted from Romans 14, 17, and put the emphasis on this one. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, or right, but it is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And didn't Jesus make that clear when he said, blessed? That word blessed, I know it sounds really religious, but no, blessed. How, how happy should you be? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a way to experience. Persecution is not fun. 
Okay? Whether you're persecuted by your family, the government, people at work, or anything else, or to the extent you're thrown into prison or even martyr, it's not fun. But there's something in the midst of it, according to Jesus. And are you willing to hold Jesus' words and the power of the kingdom that he speaks to you in the days, months, and the years to come in our country? And to, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? And to say there are only two sexes? You bigot. You hater. To say Marriage is between one man and one woman. Biologically. Scum of the earth. Are you willing to hear the words, blessed are you, who are persecuted for righteousness sake? In the light of the power of the kingdom, bringing an otherworldly joy Listen to what the Apostle Peter teaches all the churches, including us, when he writes in 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this, the stuff he just wrote about these glorious things laid up in the age to come. Not this age, in the age to come our inheritance is laid up. And so, in this you rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, since it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the second coming of Jesus Christ, ushering in the age to go. And so he says, let me sum it up. Christian, are you in the kingdom? Has the power of the kingdom converted your soul to that joy? Though you do not see him right now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you are obtaining, as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The kingdom of God invading a person's life overcomes this ultimate sadness. And it brings a real genuine joy even in the midst of crying and pain and chemical imbalance and so finally the final effect and I want you to really hear this effect of the presence of the kingdom especially if you're feeling empty and you're feeling like my life does it count for anything does my life have any purpose 
hear the effect of the kingdom. The Apostle John says concerning King Jesus in Revelation 1, verses 5 to 6. So are you in the kingdom? Then believe this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. Wow. Oh, don't let that fly over you. He made us priests, male and female, to God our Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What the kingdom of God creates in this present age when men and women and kids are drawn into that kingdom is a priesthood. People who have a right to come into the th throne room, or into the Holy of Holies behind the final curtain because Jesus went before us. And they can come and they're beckoned to come at any time and constantly into the holiest of all places, the presence of God in order to find mercy and grace in the time of need. To plead on behalf of your children, mothers. To intercede and other loved ones. That is purpose. That means your life has massive Meaning. Hear one more time what the Apostle Peter says about this in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. You want purpose? Or maybe you don't want this. Maybe you'll hear this and say, I got better goals for my life. But if you're in the kingdom, this will resonate with you. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Now watch. Why? Here's your purpose. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him 
who called you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Pause where he's not done. That's purpose. To experience, to pursue in your life, in all you do, Mothers, this is your key to mothering. Before you mother. You can't proclaim the excellencies of that meal if you've never eaten it. So we're called to come as priests to the royal throne constantly so that the effect will be we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, wow, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a priest. Mothers, you're priests. Called to draw near to the throne of mercy and grace. To find grace and mercy for yourself and for your children and for others. And then to go out and to draw near to your children with blessing, the blessings of the kingdom. And so are you in the kingdom? The kingdom has come and it has overcome our aimlessness, our futility, our emptiness. We are royal priesthood. So let us go on seeking the power of the kingdom by drawing near his priests daily. Why? In order to also, therefore, meet the needs of others through kingdom gifts, to heal, to encourage, to pray as intercessors on behalf of others, to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to deliver people from demonic bondage, to announce freedom from sin and God's work of reconciliation. And I'll close it, therefore, with the king's words to his disciples. When you see the power of the kingdom operating in your life, you see the gifts that he gave you, remember this one effect. More than all of that, rejoice that your name, your name is written in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good. You are wonderful. You're marvelous. 
You have used mothers as conduits to lead some of us to you. And you may have done it utterly despite them. Oh, Father, for every mother in here, mothers of little ones, mothers of adults, and everything in between, continue to bless, bless these priests to you. These ones that seek your face and bring the names before you. Children who are not in the kingdom or children who are in the kingdom. We thank you for this glorious gift of the kingdom and the kingdom power working through mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.